If you can turn to Luke chapter 19. We only have two more meals to go after this in uh, Luke's gospel. So, uh, after that, of course, we'll be in Philippians. Well, actually, first we'll be in Acts, talking about how the Philippian church was brought into existence by uh, the ministry of Paul and the work of God. Then Philippians. All right. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold... There was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus! Hurry, come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you, uh, first off, that you sent the Son, to seek and to save. We thank you that we have that recorded here in Scripture, which you have also given us, that we might know of your salvation. But we also need the Spirit to apply that salvation, to illuminate our minds and hearts that we might see the truth of the gospel even this morning to work in us so that we might entrust ourselves more fully or even fully at all at the first time to Jesus. Help us here to see a Savior who came to seek even us. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, last week, during the Ligonier Ministries Conference, Rosaria Butterfield shared a uh, rather lengthy story, and I'm not going to repeat this whole story, but uh, I thought parts of it were rather pertinent in light of this particular passage. She told of a new neighbor who had moved in across the street, and they lived basically on a cul-de-sac as, as part of a neighborhood, and Hal, the new neighbor, was fairly reclusive. He seemed to choose that house for a reason, and that reason would be that it opened up to a couple of acres in which there was nothing. Hal could, in a sense, be rather isolated from everyone else. They somehow were able to get to know Hal a little bit, and they discovered uh, through the conversations that Hal struggled with depression, that Hal had formerly been in the military and had served overseas in a combat area and suffered from PTSD, which is part of why 
he wanted to be kind of alone and off on himself. One of the reasons they were able to get to know Hal was because when his dog Tank got lost, they mobilized the whole neighborhood to try and find the dog of this man. And in fact, they did. And so this rather large pit bull became sort of the neighborhood dog in many ways. I'm not sure I would be so excited about that, but that's okay. It was customary for Rosario to have her phone off in the morning when she did her devotions. And on a particular morning, she remembers she was actually praying for Hal, and she was praying for Hal's salvation. When she noticed that something had gone awry, there were DEA agents all over the place, and they had been raiding Hal's house. Unknown to the Butterfields, they lived next door or across the street from Heisenberg, Walter White, so to speak, of their own neighborhood. Yes, he had a meth lab, and he was cooking. We don't always know the sinners that live next door to us. Jesus is going to talk about a big sinner. He's going to meet a big sinner. And that's the occasion for Jesus to give us, I think, that simple understanding of his ministry while he was on earth that the Son of Man came to seek and save those who were lost. That's really the focus of what I want to uh, talk about this morning, how this unfolds in the life of Zacchaeus, as well as how it unfolds, perhaps, in the life of Hal. First, well, big idea. already got there. But first, Jesus seeks those who are lost. Jesus is passing through Jericho, which was a rather prominent city in that place where Jesus lived. It's along the eastern border of Judea. It was on a main road that had a lot of trade going north and south along it. And so it was no strange thing that there would be tax collectors. But we're introduced to Zacchaeus. And he in particular is the lost man that is in light here that's in view, that's within the the range of Jesus. We are told that he is not just a tax collector, he is a chief tax collector. And we talked about this before when we looked at Simon. Simon was a normal tax collector. Zacchaeus is the chief tax collector. He's the one who bid on the rights to collect all the taxes. And Simon would be one of the people that he would hire. Not saying that Zacchaeus hired Simon, but that kind of role, similar kind of position. People like Simon. And so from the Jews' perspective, Zacchaeus was the worst kind of sinner. Remember, we've talked about this a few times. He was viewed as a traitor to his nation. He was viewed as one who was greedy because he often overcharged for his inconvenience in collecting the taxes. He was, in effect, sold out to sin. We see that not only was he a tax collector, but it says that he was rich. Think for a moment what we just heard read from the previous chapter. The rich young ruler. It is impossible for those who were rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, not impossible, difficult. The disciples thought it was impossible. But here we have the story of a rich man 
not only is rich, but got rich out of greed and exploitation. A man who has, who is in deep with sin, so to speak. He's like many that we might know who are in deep. Hal was in deep. Uh, As a drug producer and dealer, he was in deep, totally committed to particular sins. People who struggle, as we, as I heard yesterday at this uh, meeting with Sam Albury, they're in deep often with their sin. Uh, They've accepted uh, sort of a role as outcast, thinking that the satisfaction of the desires of their heart will bring them life, will bring them satisfaction. It doesn't always work that way. We see that Zacchaeus is in deep, even from G- the words of Jesus. In Matthew 5, he's talking about, he says, If you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same thing? I mean, in that statement, Jesus is kind of putting them on the, the low part of the totem pole. That even tax collectors, of all people, even those great sinners, they also love the people who love them too. So we find Zacchaeus this tax collector, this rich man who is in deep with sin. But there's something about Jesus who now is walking through Jericho that attracts his attention. We see that he sought to see Jesus. Not meet Jesus. See Jesus. Was it celebrity? The big rabbis in town? Probably not. I suspect it was a form of discontent. That even though he was, he had thrown in his lot with the particular sin that he was known for, that it was not satisfying to him. There was a dissatisfaction that had kind of settled into the course of his life. The money did not meet everything he wanted it to meet. We see that Zacchaeus was a wee little man as the song goes. And so he can't see Jesus. And so in an attempt to try and get ahead of the crowd, he's he's trying to run around. And I don't know, for some reason my mind goes to the closing scenes of Crocodile Dundee when he can't get through the subway station because of the crowd. And there's Zacchaeus, this wee little man, trying to press his way through all of these bodies to get around them so that he can get just a glimpse of Jesus. I'm reminded as well of the people who ran for miles to hear the preaching of George Whitfield. This was important to him, this seeing of Jesus. And so when he gets to the edge of the crowd, he sees a sycamore tree. And the important thing to know about a sycamore tree, which is probably why Luke records that it is a sycamore tree, not just a tree, low-hanging branches for a wee little man to climb in. And so he climbs in, and there amongst the leaves, he's able to peer out and somehow see Jesus. And so from our perspective, it looks very much like a man who is actually seeking Jesus. But yet when Jesus arrives, it is Jesus who initiates conversation with this man hiding in a tree. For he says, Zacchaeus, hurry, 
Come down. Now, we don't know how he knows his name. It, it could be that he had just heard someone else call him at the tax station. We don't know. But nonetheless, he knows Zacchaeus' name. He identifies him by name. And he says, I must stay at your house today. Oh, the chutzpah of Jesus here. You waited for an invitation. Jesus invites himself over to Zacchaeus' house. <laughs> Jesus is seeking this sinner. Tim Keller notes that every religion has a prophet who is pointing people to God. Jesus is the only one who says, I am God and I'm coming to find you. In a good way, not a bad way. And so here Jesus finds Zacchaeus and says, I'm going to stay at your house. He spots the biggest sinner in town, hanging out in a tree, and he invites himself over to his house for dinner. Chutzpah, I say. But literally, salvation enters his house because Jesus is salvation. Jesus means Jehovah or Yahweh saves And he is the salvation that God has provided for his people. And Jesus is coming to dinner. Those of you who profess faith in Christ, I want you to remember that Jesus sought you when you were lost. Whether it was when you were young or whether it was when you were old. Remember that you belong to Him because He sought you as a sinner. And that Jesus continues to seek sinners. He didn't stop with you. He continues to do this. And we see that in Jesus' heavenly ministry of seeking sinners, He often uses His people on earth as the means by which He seeks those who are lost. If you're a person here who still isn't sure about Jesus, who who still hasn't entrusted their lives to Him, who hasn't said, that is the person uh, who can rescue me from the wrath of God, if you're one of those people in this moment, Christ is seeking you in this place through the Scriptures. He is calling you to trust Him instead of the sin that you have trusted in the past. And so we have Zacchaeus. Despite his sin as a traitor to his people in the service of Rome, despite his greed which had driven him to get this particular job because there's no other reason you'd want to be a tax collector than greed and because of all that came with it, that idea of being a traitor to your people. Not only that, but the ways in which he exploited other people, took advantage of them, and was unfair to them. Yet, in spite of all of this, Zacchaeus received Jesus joyfully into his home. The big sinner in town responded to receive Jesus in his home when no one else apparently did. That's kind of important. All these other people could have said, Jesus, come to my house. And they didn't. 
It is Jesus who has to identify the biggest sinner. At the Remember, at the end of this crowd, there is Zacchaeus. And Jesus says, I must stay at your house, Zacchaeus. Now, obviously, everyone rejoiced at this, right? Right along with Zacchaeus. Dude, they were giving him high fives, right? Little fist bumps and all that jazz? Of course not. Unfortunately, we see from here that they all grumbled. There was a lot of grumbling going on around Jesus, just like there was a lot of grumbling around Moses. Was it because they felt left out? Was it because they somehow felt spurned? No, I think it's because of guilt by association. Their understanding of sin and how can a holy man, how can a rabbi go and stay in the house and have dinner with the biggest sinner in town? How can Jesus recline at the table with the traitor? That's what's going on here. How can Jesus have anything to do with the sinner? Because Jesus was, as they say, the guest of a man who is a sinner. Their view is that Zacchaeus isn't worth saving when you get down to it. That Jesus is wrong to seek out Zacchaeus. After the DEA had cleared up the scene, one of the things that Rosaria mentions in her story is that a lot of her neighbors said, you were his friend. How could you be his friend? They saw it as somehow um, wrong for a Christian to be a friend of a sinner. As though somehow she should be able to peer through his walls and see the meth lab that lay within. Why was Rosaria not afraid to be the friend of sinners? It's because she had once been the sinner who had a friend. It was because a Presbyterian minister and his wife befriended her, brought her into their house on a regular basis, that she ended up coming to faith in Jesus Christ, though she herself was a lesbian who was a professor, particularly in queer studies, meaning she was an activist. She was an enemy of Christianity from her own perspective. And here she was, first the friend of a pastor, and then a friend of Jesus in a way that surprised her profoundly. You see, these people who were grumbling, they saw Zacchaeus as he was. They could not see Zacchaeus for whom Jesus could make him. And that was largely because of their, as we've talked about, their misunderstanding of what grace is. But we can fall into the same trap of seeing people as they are and not having an eye that sees them as how Jesus might remake them, renew them, reshape them. We see them as somehow beyond the pale, as unrecoverable, as opposed to realizing 
that Jesus can save the biggest of sinners. We see, not just in this place, but throughout Luke's gospel, that Jesus dined with sinners. But more than that, Jesus would soon die for sinners. That he would express the greatest love there is because he would lay down his life for his friends. His friends who didn't deserve his life. They were sinners. Let's go back to those two groups of people I mentioned earlier. Those who have already placed their faith in Jesus Christ to rescue them from their sin and its consequences. Do you think that some people are beyond God's grace? If you do, then you need to repent, turn away from that. Confess that as as minimizing the power of Christ in the gospel and to begin to pray for them. See, that was where it all starts for Rosaria. Praying for the lost that she knows. And so one of the ways we display the fact that God can save anybody if He wants to is to pray for them. Begin to pray for the lost in your lives. Write them down. Put them on your prayer list or whatever it is that you do so that you are remembering to pray for their salvation. But we also need to remember there is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That the people we consider to be big sinners are just part of the larger pool of sinners. So it doesn't matter whether it's a 50 denarii sinner or a 500 denarii sinner. They need Jesus. So let's pray for them. Let's also remember that our sins were not so tiny that Jesus didn't have to die in our place that we might have eternal life. If you haven't made that commitment of faith yet, do you fear that your sin is too great? That Jesus can't save someone who has done what you have done, whatever that might be? And I'm here to remind you that Jesus seeks sinners, great and small. And so Jesus' love for the lost moves him to seek them, not wait until they seek him. Secondly, Jesus saves those who are lost. See, Jesus isn't simply seeking out Zacchaeus' hospitality because he needs some place to eat and there's no restaurant. Jesus is seeking him specifically in order to save or to rescue him from the wrath of God that is due to sin, due to rebellion. And so the man who took a despised profession so he could become rich makes a statement when Jesus is in his home. Half my goods I give to the poor. Zacchaeus, who has spent his life accumulating wealth, suddenly now wants to give it away. He wants to give alms. He wants to give lots to the poor. And it's going to hurt. Half. 
He's going to give. Contrast this with the previous chapter, which the rich young ruler, where Jesus says, give away your money to the poor and come and follow me. That's the one thing that you lack. This man went away sad because he loved his money. God worked in Zacchaeus' life in a way that he didn't work in the rich young ruler's life. And so Zacchaeus is freely giving away money. Jesus didn't ask him to do that. Jesus didn't tell him to do that. This seems to be freely motivated giving as the Spirit worked in the heart of Zacchaeus. But then he goes a step farther. Because he says, if I have defrauded anyone, I will restore it fourfold. He offers restitution. We see from places like Leviticus, from which we read, if you stole, you offered not just the item back, but you offered an additional. And if you had sold the item, you couldn't get it back anymore, you paid additionally because of the loss of the item. You didn't just pay the replacement value, you did fourfold or twofold, depending on the item that was stolen. So he basically treats this like sheep that are stolen. And pays back fourfold. When I was young, my cousin and I were in a bowling league. And when you're in a bowling league, as a kid anyway, you want snacks, right? You want to get a soda or an ice cream. You want to play some video games. And not having the resources ourselves, we were enticed by my brother's coins. He had this big beer mug that it was filled with quarters, and we would plunder it so that we could enjoy soda, an ice cream bar, and a couple of video games at the bowling alley before... Our parents came to pick us up after the bowling league. When I was a child, I thought nothing of this. I thought only of myself. But after I became a Christian, I began to think about this. It's funny, the things you you remember. Why would I remember something that happened when I was in fourth grade or whatever it was? And so I wrote my brother a check, sent it to him in the mail. He didn't understand it. (laughs) he had forgotten that he had at one point asked my dad who was stealing my money (laughs) sometimes the, the fruit that accompanies repentance can be restitution the replacing of that which was taken wrongly from another person and so Zacchaeus is offering to replace that which he wrongly took. That's exactly or part of what John the Baptist said with regard to tax collectors who came to be baptized. He didn't say stop being a tax collector. He said to them, collect no more than you're authorized to do. Don't cheat people. Don't lie. You can be a tax collector. But don't be a corrupt tax collector. 
And so Zacchaeus now is not leaving his position as tax collector. Zacchaeus is basically saying, I'm going to become a clean tax collector. Bottom line here, or a bottom line here, actually you can't have more than one bottom line, can you? One thing to take from this is that a relationship with Jesus changes your relationship with money. Where before that was the most important thing in Zacchaeus' life, now he's giving it away. Jesus has, of course, said that no man can serve two masters. He must either serve God or money. And Zacchaeus had served money, and now he's serving God, and the money can be freely given. And so if if you're in Christ, if you believe in Jesus, if he's the most important person to you, then money is not the most important thing to you. It can be freely given, just as it has been freely received. And it's on the basis of this, and we're going to explore this for a moment, but Jesus then responds with, today salvation has come to this house. You see, Jesus has brought salvation to this house. Jesus makes a pronunciation here that can be troubling if we don't understand it correctly. But salvation has come. If works, the works of restitution that are seen here produce salvation, then how is it that Jesus came to save the lost? It has to be understood within that larger context that the context that Jesus changes us first and these other things come second. In other words, faith comes. Faith receives what Jesus has done. It receives the gift of eternal life. And as a result of that, there is fruit from that new life which is the restitution in this particular case. In other words, he's trying to live as a 24-7 person in relationship with Jesus Christ. He's not trying to live as someone who's a Sunday morning Christian. I tell my son, or I try to remember to tell my son, speech therapy is not just for speech therapy. You are to apply what you learn in speech therapy throughout the week so that what is foreign to you becomes natural to you and we all understand you. And that's what happens when the gospel comes. We begin to practice. And so what was once foreign to us begins to become normal to us, even if it's foreign to those who watch us. We're to recognize, as we talked about in Sunday school this morning, places, things like Ephesians 2, that though we have been saved by grace, and that is through faith alone, we recognize that we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so, part of the evidence that we have been saved by grace through faith is whether there are accompanying works that manifest that faith. We see the same thing in Titus 2. Jesus gave Himself to redeem us from all lawlessness. There's the the the, the, um, the Son of Man who came to 
not just seek and save, but also to, to give his life as a ransom. There's the redemption part of it. To purify for himself a people for his own possession who are, and here's the thing, zealous for good works. Zacchaeus is now zealous for good works. Not so he can be saved, but because he has been saved. We see the same principle in James chapter 2. A faith that does not produce fruit is not the kind of faith that can save anybody. And so here in the story of Zacchaeus, we have one, the fact with God, the salvation of this rich man is not impossible. He's saved by the grace of God. But we see also that it manifests itself in observable ways. That his life is changed. And so Jesus declares that salvation has come to his house since he is also a son of Abraham. That's kind of an odd way to put all of this. But remember, he was considered to be a traitor, and therefore, probably from the Pharisees' perspective, not a son of Abraham. But Jesus affirms this. He was a son of Abraham by blood, and now he's a son of Abraham by faith. And it's the latter of the two that matters. As we see, Galatians 3, Know then that those who are of faith, who are the sons of Abraham. See, Zacchaeus was likely circumcised as a Jew. Ritual circumcision. In other words, according to Paul, he would have received the sign and seal that righteousness is by faith. He would have gotten the sign. And by faith, Zacchaeus received the righteousness of Jesus Christ as if it were his very own. The obedience of Jesus becomes the obedience of Zacchaeus. And that is how he saved. Earlier, on the eighth day, he had received the promise And now he has received what the promise intended by faith. The promise was believe and you will be saved. And now he's believed and now he's saved. Children who have been baptized, you receive the promise that if you believe you shall be saved. Have you claimed that promise? Have you placed your faith in Christ, so that you may be saved. Because Zacchaeus has believed, because he is a son of Abraham, because he is now united to the true seed of Abraham, capital S, he has received the promised Holy Spirit which stirs up that zeal for the good works, and that's generally how it's supposed to operate in our lives as well. We're united to Christ. We're not only sons of God, we're also sons of Abraham. We've also received the promised Holy Spirit, this Holy Spirit who works within us to produce a zeal for good works, to walk in the very things that the Father has prepared for us ahead of time. And so we should recognize that this new life in Christ that Zacchaeus entered into is similar to the new life in Christ that we enter into, and it is lived 
for Him and for us in the power of the Holy Spirit, not in our own power. It is a new way of living. I forgot about Hal. Ken Butterfield, Rosario's husband, would continue to visit Hal while he was in jail. And while everyone else in the neighborhood had given up on Hal, Ken didn't, Rosaria didn't, and apparently Jesus didn't, because it is in jail where Jesus found Hal. And Hal came to faith. Turning away from his addictions, turning away from his greed, he enjoys a new life in Christ even though he's not in the place he wants to be. So Rosaria herself was a big sinner befriended by a pastor and his wife, and through that friendship, Jesus sought and saved her. As the wife of a Presbyterian minister, she then would befriend big sinners in the hope that Jesus would seek and save them through her. If Jesus has sought and saved you, He wants to use you to seek and save other big sinners. This is what He does. This is who He is. If you're one of those people that Jesus is seeking now, confess your sin, confess your need. You don't clean up. He cleans you up. Trust in this crucified Savior to rescue you precisely because He died to bear the price that sinners deserve for their sin. He died to rescue people from the wrath of God. He will deal with the sin that you can't. Just like Zacchaeus couldn't. Let's pray. Father, uh, What a beautiful passage. Help us to really believe that you could save the biggest of sinners, whether it's us or it's someone we know and care about. Father, give us a a greater zeal and passion for the lost. A, A passion that results in prayer for them relating to them, bringing them into our house and being in their house, opening our lives to these people so that they can see what you do in people's lives, so they can hear what what Jesus has done in his incarnation, in his death, in his resurrection. So they can hear and see all of that. And through that, you call them to trust this Jesus. We ask this in his name. Amen.